0: Hey, all you pilgrims out there. Welcome to the Common Pilgrim Podcast. My name is Jason, and my co-host is Chris. On today's podcast, we have Scott Gunn, the executive director of Ford Movement, which is a publishing company in the Episcopal Church. Scott's traveled all over the world, and he's a priest, and he's a theologian. He's written many things, so I invited him to come onto the show and talk about his travels, his thoughts about Eucharist, thoughts about sacred space and place and ends up being a great conversation um unfortunately though chris and i have had issues with our mics we you know i don't know we usually we've done this for a couple of podcasts now and and uh some for some reason we really struggled i think we we uh got too excited that scott was here and we got way too loud in our mics so um you're gonna have to forgive us on that and uh you might be you might need to uh adjust the volume throughout this podcast but i still think it's worth listening to um so thanks for joining us on this journey to discuss learn and experience the adventure of pilgrimage give us some feedback because yes we are wanting to improve this podcast and i imagine the feedback will be hey your mics are really bad and if you have something a story a book or a suggestion that you want to contribute send me an email we'd love to hear your story of pilgrimage. And my email is jason at com. Okay, it's time, so let's begin. All right, so we should be uh, rolling again. Rolling, uh, Why do we call it rolling? Is that tape? It's, yeah, it's like direct-to-tape, yeah. yeah. So we'll run out of it the just tape. shows how antiquated I am. Um, So, uh, we're back here in uh, Common Pilgrim Studios, and uh, we've got a special guest, and who has graciously uh, uh, has come to be um, on the podcast with us. His name is Scott Gunn. Scott, welcome. Um,
1: Thanks for having me. Yeah, tell tell us a little
0: bit about yourself, and, and, and where you come from, and what you do.
1: Sure. I work at Forward Movement, which is a ministry of the Episcopal Church that focuses on discipleship or evangelism, that's encouraging people to follow Jesus and Uh, share his love with other people. Um, I'm an Episcopal priest and a spouse and um, uh, photography and travel are hobbies of mine. And I'm uh, the happy... uh, I was going to say owner of a dog, but that wouldn't really quite be right. I live with, We live with a dog.
2: Cohabitator. Yeah. Yes.
0: Your dog has its own Twitter handle, right? He has
1: his own. He's on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Oh, he's one
2: of those dogs. Yes. Does he have more I, followers than me? I'm going to leave. how many followers does he have? <laughs> uh, he's
1: he's um, over 600 followers on Twitter, okay. which is his biggest one. All right, yeah. yeah. Barely speaking out um, over the dog. Uh, <laughs> he has been mentioned in The New Yorker, which is pretty cool. Oh, he did wow. an article on uh, pets with social media accounts.
2: Um, oh, and Wow Yeah Okay Now he so, me So I don't have as many followers I have more you're followers You're kind of semi-famous
0: world. And in Well, mind. in the Episcopal world Yeah <laughs> And uh, He's super famous In the big world the New Yorker. Uh, yeah. Well, in the New Yorker world
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, So you said you like to travel And I think that's kind of why we Why I asked you I mean yeah, sure. You know you, Also I've heard that you are You have something to do with um, Lent madness <laughs> Is that right?
1: I, yeah exactly i yeah i do have a little to do with that yes
0: you know i mean I, you know maybe just so we can garner a little bit more uh, episcopal you know a bigger episcopal audience um tell us a little bit more about lit madness and uh, sure where did you get that idea and, and 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 uh like what is your plans for it
1: yep so um about eight years ago um my friend tim Skink, who's a episcopal priest who's now serving in massachusetts Tim and I used to get together every week and have coffee, uh, every month and have coffee about halfway between our churches. We would just you know, talk shop and all that stuff. And we both had blogs at the time, and we were talking in 2010 about how we might productively use our blogs during the season of Lent. And my idea for my blog was to put a different George Herbert poem on <laughs> every day, and his idea was a little better than mine. It was to do something called Lent Madness which is a play on March Madness, the basketball tournament. And in Lent Madness, 32 saints start off in a competitive bracket, and every day of Lent, people vote for which saint should advance. And ultimately, during Holy Week, one saint is crowned with the golden halo. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, sure. yeah, So it's very irreverent and silly, but also over the course of it, people learn a tremendous amount about the saints, because you read about them to decide who you want to yeah. vote for.
2: I was going to say, what criteria are you used to decide? You know, just name alone. You know, what they're the patron well, saint of. Is it? Yeah,
1: so sometimes, uh, sometimes saints make it into the bracket just because of their name. So a couple years ago, one of the saints in there was Christina the Astonishing.
2: Well, yeah, I, and she didn't win. Like overall. No, she didn't oh, that's win. Amazing. Um, she's
1: a Belgian Catholic saint who okay. was known for her ability to levitate. <laughs> okay. Of course. Um, <laughs> I was interested in her because I love waffles, and I figured you know she must be. Oh yeah, Belgian. But um, and then sometimes saints win uh, because of their the what they've done. So this last year's winner was Florence Nightingale, who was a, a nurse and a Christian, and um, and then the year before that it was Francis of Assisi, the uh, the animal guy.
0: Um, oh yeah yeah yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. A... The year before that was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Yeah, it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, right? Yeah yeah. yeah, I yeah. Remember that, Christian yeah.
1: martyr uh, in the Second World War fought Nazis, and then uh, the year before that it was Francis of Assisi. So we've had all kinds of different. Yeah saints, witness, but it's a lot of fun, and um, it helps us. I always say that it helps. I hope that Lent madness gets us to take ourselves less seriously and take Jesus more seriously.
0: Yeah, and, and, and actually, I mean, I've used it before um, in my context, and it's, it's, it's a nice thing to have when, you know, because Lent is usually a time of, you know, um, repentance and, and a time where you uh, reflect and um, maybe... Do um, a little self-denial, and it's something that maybe offsets that. Mm-hmm. But it's it does have that educational component, and which is really helpful. And you know, and then understanding you know what saints went through, and and understanding the lives of the saints and the ascetic practices of saints um, is really helpful. And it's, it's I I think it's a great program. And I wanted to ask you, I was surprised by who won. Mm-hmm. In fact, I and the one thing that I was really surprised because we're, you know, it's the 500th anniversary of the Reformation and Martin Luther. Was out in the early I mean, rounds. He, was like, he have... was like
2: North Carolina a few years yeah. ago. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. No,
1: no. Len Madness is like March Madness in that there are Cinderellas it's upsets, upsets. Yeah, yeah. 5 five twelve matchup. You got to watch out. Yeah, they out don't. There. They don't call it Madness for nothing. Yeah. I mean, it's, okay. Yeah. You just never know. And I, I'm often surprised uh, all along by who wins. Um, sometimes people think that we set it up a certain way. I can't believe that you arranged it so that so and so would be battling so and so in the third round and.
2: It's just like the tournament, you yeah. know. They they yeah. yeah <laughs> okay. So it's so yeah.
1: it's um it is very surprising. I I thought Martin Luther would do
0: pretty well. I thought so too. I mean, you're, I, you're just sad cuz your
2: your bracket didn't turn out. Well, right? I mean, yeah, my bracket was <laughs> busted. Right really busted
0: pretty quickly. Um I'm not a huge fan of Luther. I don't think, you know. I mean, he's I, he's got some great theology, but he's also got you some just thought interesting it was in ideas here. that um but uh I was surprised that he uh, you know, I know he doesn't. He doesn't always have a great reputation in some, yeah. So, so <laughs> some yeah, so, areas of theology, yeah.
1: <laughs> exactly, and a, lo- a lot of times, what happens with Lent madness is there there tends to be a bias toward uh, more modern saints, and people tend to look at some of the older saints with a twenty first century lens. Yeah. So somebody like Martin Luther said things that are um, anti Semitic. Sure. And, you know, I, of course, I'm not going to defend anti Semitism. Um, but find me somebody in the 16th century who wasn't. Yeah, he was a pro- right. product yeah. of his time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, you know, So, um, so it's understandable. I don't fault anyone for saying no. I'm not going to vote for Martin because yeah. he's anti-Semitic. Um, I also don't fault someone who says, "Well, I, I see that anti-Semitism, but product of his time, and he's has other things to say." So, yeah. It's, it, But the, yeah. But, but issues like this make for great conversations on yeah. what's really important and.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting vehicle to, to do it, certainly something that everybody can relate to, the, the tournament bracket style thing, so yeah. Exactly. I, I was first introduced to it just a couple of years ago when, uh, when when we started uh, doing Head it, at the here, church, it yeah. here at the church, and yep, always fill out a bracket, so. Yeah, yeah. so we,
1: I, I can't say um, much about it other than the number of saints, I can confirm the number, we, Tim and I met this last Saturday, two yeah. days ago, and we got the, the bracket picked for next year. Oh, already? Yeah. So it, we start early because over the summer, the celebrity bloggers have to do their, have to write Research, their, yeah. the bios and we have to get it edited and get the book printed and all that stuff. So it's kind of a year round thing now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a big, it's a big part of Ford movement. Yeah. Now.
1: So it's a lot of fun.
0: Oh, very cool. You know, speaking of Luther, you know, he took a, a pretty uh, profound pilgrimage that uh, really changed the course of his life. Um, you know, you know that story, right? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I yeah. assume you did. Um, going to Rome and and uh, finding that what he imagined, what he perceived, um, was not the case. Uh, you know, of Rome and of the church, and uh, and comes back with um, kind of a new awareness and a and a, a new sense to um, seek the scripture and to figure out what you know, you know, what is going on with what ails him theologically and, mm-hmm. and existentially, yeah. So. Y-
1: yeah, and I was, I went to Rome several years ago and, and <laughs> I can see why Luther had a reaction to <laughs> it's, it's pretty over the top.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I, got a, I got a question for you while you're here. You know, I just started um, doing a few seminary classes and I had to stay up till two last night writing a paper because it snuck wow. up on me. And I just didn't realize, wow, you know, like, okay, this is actually due today. June, And it's taking, it's not going to go, I mean, it's not going to be as short of a task as I thought it might be. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but the question was, because I, it was, uh, I had to construct a definition of preaching Hmm. from the documents of the Episcopal Church.
1: Wow.
2: And yeah, it's a tough one. I was,
1: (laughs) well, when you said the first part, construct a definition of preaching, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Then the re- that right the, print, yeah. the proof has to
2: come from, yeah. And uh, so I, look
1: in the prayer book, and yeah,
0: I was going to ask you. I mean, I've already I've already submitted the paper, and um, I, you know, it, it ended up being it ended up being okay, I think. But um, if I were, you know, if this would have been timing would have been everything. If we would have done this like yesterday, I could have said, "Hey, I still want to ask you." Like, what what would you say are the documents of the Episcopal Church?
1: What are the documents? Well, yeah. uh, the, the prayer book certainly. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I think you could look at the other liturgical documents of the Episcopal Church. You could say our our canons and our constitution. Although, yeah, I, I don't yeah. think the constitution and canons has anything to say about preaching that I can recall. You know, the, the only that, thing is,
0: is there's a prescription against uh, a proscription against uh, bishops from preaching in other dioceses. Yes. without invitation. Yeah. So there's. <laughs> I don't know how many times that happened. <laughs> yeah,
1: and then advisedly teaching uh, false doctrine is, yeah, a, right. is a punishable offense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, say Two then, things not to do, but not yeah, what to then, do. And then I guess there, there's all the stuff that general conventions passed.
0: Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but
1: gosh, that's. A, I know
0: it was. It was. Uh, it was challenging. It was good. I mean, assignment. it was a so pretty what'd good assignment.
1: What you say? What'd you say uh, preaching is about.
0: Um, you know, I, um, you had to answer, not only did you have to uh, construct a definition, but you also had to talk about, um, you know, why do you preach and and how does one preach? And, uh, I mean, I kind of focused on the whole idea. I mean, we, you know, throughout the Book of Common prayer, you know, preaching does come up as, you know, Paul, you know, Paul, his preaching Mm -hmm. was the light, you know, brought the light of the world and, you know, and then preaching also brings the spirit, and then, therefore, the spirit is being dispensed and diffused throughout the world. Um, I talked mainly about preaching; it was, it's pastoral. It's something that is within the context of you know it, of the parish and, and the community, and just mm-hmm. and then it's something that gives them. This is something that I took from um, another podcast that I listened to, but I, it wasn't necessarily an Episcopal document. But it was very similar to what I was inferring from other things I was reading, and that. You know that preaching gives a modern voice to the Scripture. Hmm. You know, and and when I, um, one of the hermeneutical challenges is when I when I when I studied early early on, uh, hermeneutics, which is you know interpreting Scripture, mm-hmm. um, that was always what my professor uh, talked about was, you know, bridging the gap, you know, from the ancient to the modern and finding a way to cross that chasm. So.
2: All right, so so is the least churched here. <laughs> I, I have to ask a question, right? So, yeah. h- how do you do that without crossing the line that you know Luther was trying to uh, abolish? At least one of the things that he was trying to do that you had to get, you had to get your your scripture, your Jesus, your your you know your message from God through an intermediary, right? So 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 h- how do you how do you do that? How do you bring it you know without reestablishing Kind of the very hierarchy that you know that, that again one of the things that he claims or at least it is interpreted that he was trying to do is is get rid of right um, I mean is is it that arcane is it, is it that removed from modern life that it needs interpretation
0: well the scripture I mean you know that's where the that's where we talk about the Holy Spirit you know Pentecost yeah. is coming up, and the perspicacity of scripture we talk about where scripture is um, is uh, I don't know it's easy, not easy, but that the meaning of it is not something that you, is so obscure that you can't discover. Um, you know, I think an intermediary, you know, like you're right, Luther talks, kind of wants to take away the church as an intermediary, but yeah. the church is still the context by which I think you, you read the, the scripture, and you don't read the scripture and interpret the scripture outside of a community, um, you, you know, just individually on your own, although... You know, that's be, that'd be a good question. I'm not a Luther scholar, so I don't know. I don't know. What, what do you think, Scott? Well,
1: I was just gonna, that's actually a great question because, ironically, in this age of um, social media, anyone can publish um, in the church with, re- re- with respect to the Bible. We're kind of almost back to a pre Reformation world. Mm, yeah. Where right. It, and there, we have data at Forward Movement about this. I don't remember the numbers, but very few Episcopalians have actually cracked open a Bible and read it. And so, um, there's a lot of biblical illiteracy. Mm -hmm. People just don't know the basic stories of the Bible. They don't. They haven't read it. And so, a whole Reformation was fought so that it was accessible. (laughs) So that it was accessible. And no one, um, no one took it away. But I think the church kind of gave it up Mm collectively. And so it's it is kind of this funny place. And, and I, when you, when I ask people why they haven't read the Bible, a lot of times, uh, they say that it's because they don't understand it or because they're basically, uh, they might use different phrasing, but they're not smart enough or not well educated yeah. enough. Yeah. And I think this is one of the things where clergy, and I'm not, I'm not saying that you as a person who's thinking about, you know, um, dis- discerning and all that, but I think that that we clergy have often done a disservice by freely sort of explaining stuff mm. without um, inviting people yeah. to actually read. Because often somebody comes with a question, and, right, I have two choices. I could either <laughs> hand them the fish or teach them to fish. Yeah. And too, too often when it comes to the Bible, clergy hand out the fish.
0: Yeah, And, yeah, don't, absolutely.
1: and don't invite people to actually dive in and read it themselves. Yeah. Because in some sense... I think um, anyone who can who can read and sort of you know follow an argument and just who who has any reading comprehension, Mm -hmm. how do I put this? Um, um, I have three theology degrees. I do think that gives me some advantage in reading scripture in Mm -hmm. terms of historical critical method and understanding Mm -hmm. source criticism and all Mm -hmm. this, that, and the other thing. But in some sense, um, I've met people with zero theological education who have all kinds of things to teach me about the scriptures.
0: Yeah, I mean, they see it They see it in a way that yeah. I think when you're taught the historical critical method, which, you know, I've been trained in, um, I'm always fascinated with someone who maybe has more of a literary, crit, you know, criticism bent, or maybe they're just, they don't even have any type of training, they just come in with, You know, the Holy Spirit, (laughs) this is what it means
2: to them. Yeah. I I mean, that's the interesting part, right? So I think that's the unique challenge, or at least I would see as a unique challenge to trying to preach, would be to do it in a way that um, is vulnerable, right? Where you're sharing your understanding of it, that doesn't, shut down or exclude someone else's understanding right that that, that you know that it's welcoming in, in a way to you know this is this is the lens that i see it through and i can explain why that is and why it's important to me and why it you know why it means that to me and, and something that you might want to think about but in no way you know should it um should you feel excluded right because because that, that's you know again been exposed to a number of different preaching styles over my uh, my church history and and some of it very definitely does that right you know it's it's the way right and 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 some of that's very overt but usually it's very you know kind of hidden under the just in the way that it's 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 delivered, mm. right? And in and, and the message yeah. that, oh, that's so intellectual that, you know, it must be. And, you know, again, that's, I think, the, the danger sometimes that uh, Episcopalians can run into, right? Although it's the thing that attracts me to, I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I love it, right? I, I do. But, you know, you can really kind of feel left uh, after, after some preaching with the feeling that, uh, you know, gosh, I didn't understand that at all. Well,
1: I think what Jason said, though, is right. Um, I don't, when I'm preparing to preach or reading scripture on my own, I might read it and I might have a thought but but the interpretation of scripture comes in community mm-hmm. and that one of the that at first seems oppressive and oh does that mean you can't think what you want? No, it doesn't mean that, but on the other hand, that's a protection against um me teaching something completely crazy and tyrannical right is actually the church does often have teachings of uh, that. It's meant to be a safeguard from an arbitrary or capricious clergy person who mm-hmm. might abuse the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Um, or or lead people down, you know, to say something. Um, what's a good example? You know, I, I don't know. Uh, forgiveness. Jesus has pretty stern words about forgiving people and turning the other cheek at 70 mm-hmm. times 7, which means mm-hmm. basically unlimited, unlimited. times. Yeah. So... You know, it wouldn't be helpful for me if I was a parish priest. And I said, well, he didn't really mean that. He means forgive people when they deserve it.
2: Mm -hmm. You know, and I started teaching that
1: forgiveness is conditional on uh, whether or not people deserve it. Well, that's, um, I don't know, it's probably technically not heretical, but it's unhelpful at at least. And it Mm -hmm. might be heretical. And fortunately, we have kind of benchmarks. And for 2,000 years, the church has read those passages a certain way. And if I'm going to go and start interpreting them differently, I better have a very good reason for doing that.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, that's where the congregation, you know, can... And I talked about this in my paper, was it is somewhat of a dance, you know, um, between the priest or whoever Mm -hmm. and and the congregation because it's not something that can just be a one-way kind of event. And there has to be kind of a give and take and, and... and I think that that's a great example of when the congregation has to—they have to have—they have to take ownership of discipleship. Exactly. And and to to actually read the scripture. Yes. And and not just read about the scripture or you know highly critical uh, uh, scholars about this. You know, where word, the word, all faith is just thrown out the window. And and I mean, don't don't get me wrong. I'm I'm I love highly critical scholars i love reading them but but sometimes they're not great for devotional discipleship yeah exactly
1: and and, um well this last uh, sunday and thursday we had ascension day on thursday and then sunday the lessons about ascension i can't tell you how many sermons i've heard that were basically where the preacher climbed into the pulpit and tried to explain away the ascension and said well that's just a metaphor i spent the whole sermon explaining why that really isn't a thing and I, I just don't think that's the most interesting thing about the passage. Mm-hmm. The 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 stories about the ascension have other facets. And I'm not saying we should suspend our critical mind or our scientific doubt or anything like that, but that that's just not that's 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 not the most interesting thing to talk about. Yeah. You
2: know? Yeah. Again, it's what's most helpful, right? It's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's just not yeah, helpful.
1: Yeah. Um so you know, what what good does that do yeah, me right. as a person if I sit in a pew and somebody explains to me that that the um, Israelites didn't really cross the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, now you've just told me your historical critical view, but w- yeah, so what? Yeah, much more interesting is to talk about how that's a story about liberation. Yeah,
0: right, absolutely. And
1: we can also talk about you know how it might have taken place and all that, but but we shouldn't ever lose sight of the point. And I think often in the ch- the church in the last few decades um, has had a, has suffered from a, a homiletical deficit because I think mm-hmm. too many. Preachers have been keen to talk about the Bible instead of just sharing its stories.
0: Yeah, it's almost like they're trying to work out in their own uh, yeah. doubt.
2: <laughs> and yeah. uh, well, but I mean, in some ways you know, explaining away the Ascension is a little bit, you know, similar to what we were talking before about, you know, kind of the, the historicity, right? So looking back on the stories and and not looking at them as, you know, again, products of their time. And yeah. and they, you know, they were, you know, first of all, obviously it's been translated and, and you know, there's different uh, different meanings, different words and, and, and how all that works, but um, they were using the best language they had available to describe mm-hmm. what they experienced, right? And what yeah. they thought the, the, the lessons of that were. And, you know, I, I think, historical criticism aside, I mean, I think it just ignores, you know, I don't know, it just it, it takes it too much out of the place and tries to put it in, in and just just it at that, right, I think is good enough to then move on to now. Let's understand what, you know, again, what what the what the uh, what the story is trying to tell us.
1: Exactly. I, one of uh, my uh, friends and who's kind of my uh, hero priest is um, Carol Anderson, who was rector of All Saints Beverly Hills. She's retired now. But I heard her speak at a conference Maybe two years ago, she was talking about preaching, and she said one of the problems we have in our church today is too many preachers going to the pulpit with the goal of being clever,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and every Sunday when you climb into that pulpit and you're looking out at the congregation, there's somebody in there or maybe several somebody's who right then they're trying they they're, they don't want clever they're trying to figure out how they're going to get through to Monday.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They just want home. yeah right. And it seems to me that uh, I've thought about that ever since, and and other things I've read that fundamentally, apart from anything else, the preacher's job is to offer hope. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't it doesn't need to be Pollyanna hope or naive hope? But but I think if we can't do that, I'm not sure what the point is.
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah, I I completely agree. I was there at that conference. In fact, I think that's where I met you. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was just blown away by her, and just yeah. you know the wisdom that she had and right. yeah i would have to say she was definitely an instant hero for me yeah um you know so we brought you in to talk about your travels and we ended up sure. talking about preaching
2: yeah. <laughs> and the yes you know, some late late term cheating on your paper i guess that's you my fault call that back and send a version two in. i got a few more ideas <laughs> I'll,
0: I'll send this to my professor and say hey at least i did a podcast about yeah, it yeah we take this
2: as some extra credit there you
0: go <laughs> so you've traveled quite a bit scott um, um yeah. And you know this is a podcast about pilgrimage because we're trying to figure out what pilgrimage is and, we and the best so our way so do that was
2: to talk to people about yeah, what they thought pilgrimage was. So because that's what methodology is we're going
0: to we we read a few books uh to get it started and kind of give us uh you know like a footing for what do we you know what pilgrimage might be and and we talked about a few things like you know crossing the threshold or the well uh, the calling um what was the
2: other one before the threshold? Well, so there's the urge, right? There, so there's the, the, yes. the, uh, the uh, yeah. unidentified, or I forget exactly the language. That yeah, right, yeah. Uses, but yeah, we use yeah, Phil so. Cosino's book, yeah. uh, mm. The Art of Pilgrimage. Yeah. And uh, so there's the
0: calling, and then there's the crossing of the threshold. Yeah. And then there's the, what,
2: lab- labyrinth? Well, the labyrinth comes later. So there's the the, the travels, Tra- right? Yeah, right? so okay. you go some distance, the liminal right? space, yeah, and then yeah. You, you realize at some point that you're, you know, uh, you 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 cross some some boundary there where you're, you know, you're actually closer to your destination than you are to your home, right? Mm-hmm. And then you're truly lost at that point, and then the labyrinth, right? And 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 uh, then discovering, you know, whatever it is that you went for or not <laughs> along yeah. the way, right? And then and then, 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 then the, the return. return, yeah, the return, yeah, and so.
0: Um, you know you travel a lot so my question was for you is you know where have you been um, why do you travel so much like what, what, what excites you about travel um, is it a spiritual thing is it you know educational thing um, and then in, within your travels you know what would you say is the one that was a pilgrimage or maybe you know maybe it doesn't have to be one but maybe the most profound pilgrimage you went on um, and then those elements that we talked about I don't know if you wanted to address those and then we might get into some some more theology because i sent you an article yes by a guy named philip sheldraki um for a book that i'm reading um for another uh thing that a task i'm on i'm doing
2: um it's <laughs> turning into jason's homework hour yeah. podcast <laughs> 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 this is self-serving yeah sure <laughs> that's all right right. Everybody's to get something out <laughs> well, of I it well i started it you know? <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> right
0: you <just laughs> so, end which one <laughs> um, So, uh, yeah, so we'll start with that question, and then maybe we'll we'll get into uh, some of that theology.
1: Yeah, so so where have I been? Um, A a lot of places, and um, I haven't been to Antarctica yet, but uh, all (laughs) the other continents. Yeah. uh, But only South America only once for a little, and Australia only once for a couple days. But with Africa, I don't know, half a dozen times, maybe a little Mm. more, Um, Europe a lot, Asia a lot.
0: More. Have you ever been to Guyana?
1: Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Yeah, okay, all right. <laughs> we know someone. We, yeah, we, we, <laughs> one of our first guests was
2: yeah. uh, a big traveler to yeah. Guyana. So
1: Yeah, no, I've... Um, and uh, I think it, it's this is interesting to have a chance to reflect on some of this. I, um, I travel for a lot of different reasons, but my work has me traveling to go to events and talk to people and do work. So I, quite often that's why I'm traveling... But for the last, I don't know how many years, I've had more time off than Sherilyn, my other half, has had. Mm-hmm. And I'm not good at taking time off um, at home. I don't, you know, I don't unplug and I end up working. So partly to make sure I was getting rest, I, I started this habit of going about once a year. I go somewhere in the world for about a week just on my own, just to mm-hmm. take a trip. And... Um, that's, that's become kind of a habit for me now, and, and I, what I realized a, f- a few years ago is that it actually, I don't know that I, I would have described it as a pilgrimage, it's a kind of retreat, because when you travel alone, when you travel by yourself, it's a whole different kettle of fish than when you travel with even one other person or a group,
0: because
1: mm-hmm. when you're on your own, um, everything's kind of more alive, because you can't miss anything. You, mm-hmm. Depending on where you are, you might have to pay a lot of attention to make sure you're safe, you have to make sure you're not getting lost. Or if you don't care if you're getting lost, you, you know, you, you just have to um, pay a lot of attention, and um, and then of course when you're traveling alone, you have complete autonomy to say I want to linger in this spot for four hours,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. and, and nobody's saying,
1: yeah, you're not no, dragging I'm anyone there. with You yeah. have to move on. Or I, I just went in this world-famous museum and I'm bored after 10 minutes, so I'm going to leave. Yeah. No one's going to and, and there's me. no guilt or judgment. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> So there's a lot of freedom and a lot... Of, it's just a whole different sensation. And, and for me, just my personality, I like going to... For that week, I try to go to places that are very different that I've, that I've never been before. Yeah. Just this, this kind of stimulation of it. And I don't... Um, other than whatever I need to do to stay in touch with people back home, I, I often don't talk to many people because it's often a place where people don't speak English. So, yeah. So it's a it's a, often a sort of a solitary kind of a retreat thing. It's it, it's so it's kind of a cool thing uh, to do. Um,
2: so so go, go through your selection process a little bit, right? So so imagine you got some you know what you you maybe the next trip that you're taking. How, how do you how do you go through and get to a short list of where you might go and how do you make that final yeah, decision? Yeah. So
1: um, so there. I kind of keep, I don't have a, I don't literally have a list written down, but I have a list of kind of a mental list of places I want to go someday,
0: mm-hmm.
1: kind of my bucket list as it were. And then what happens is often I'll figure out the time that I'm going to be able to go and it's a matter of where can I get, where can I get a killer deal?
2: deal sure. mm-hmm.
1: And so... One of the sayings I, I read a lot of travel blogs and stuff, and one of the things <laughs> is you know you can you can always get a bargain if you're if you if you aren't flexible about when, if you're flexible about where you go, you can always go somewhere cheap. There's always a always somewhere a, somewhere a, in the world somewhere it, it's a discount. always yeah. cheap. And if you're if there's a place you want to go and you're flexible about when you go, you can get there inexpensively. You yeah. just have to. It's about flexibility. So you might not get to go to you know Paris in April. That's never going to be cheap. Yeah, but. You might find a good deal on Paris in the yep, first November. week of January or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so sometimes it, it comes down to that, uh, just happenstance, and, um, and then and then there's this kind of list of places that mm-hmm. I that I okay. go, and when yeah. one of those um, pops pops up as a possibility.
2: But but the, something gets on that list, I guess, from the beginning. So I, I get your selection just kind of based on what's available. But something gets on the list because it's different, right? It's it's, it's, it's something. Um, it's different,
1: or it's um, it's a place of remarkable beauty, or um, I'm I sort of um, if I was a person of complete uh, if I had unlimited financial resources and leisure time, <laughs> you know, if somebody just I don't know. I i I found a pile of gold bullion in the you know. It, Next to our parking space, or something. Yeah, I, I might be one of those people who you know checks UNESCO World Heritage sites off a list or something. Okay. Yeah, because because so, somebody has figured out that these are places worth, you know, these are great places. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's a little about my personality as well. But, um, so so often it, it's it's pl- notable places. I, I don't you know I, I don't have a TV, so I don't watch you know a cooking show and say oh I want to go sample the food of uh you know i want to go get pho in vietnam or whatever yeah. mm. um it's more um I, I i kept seeing um pictures of cm reap and so that was on the list mm. so last year mm. a couple years ago i guess it is now sheryl and i did kind of a around the world trip and we stopped in cm reap for a couple days because it had just been on the list of a place that looked super cool
0: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. and it was awesome. it lived up to the hype what was it like uh it was really hot okay <laughs> um so it, um what's amazing about, about it is it's these um these khmer ruins and um they're uh they're from oh, no, different periods but the, the, that city kind of flourished around the same time that the medieval cathedrals were being built oh, okay and so it's it's amazing because they um, they're, they've been weathered because they weren't. They, they just uh, re- the jungle grew, grew over them and, and mm-hmm. f- for hundreds of years. So they, they overall, now they're now they're well cared for. But for hundreds of years, they weren't. So the fact that they're in good condition is amazing because they've been beaten up in a way the medieval cathedrals mostly weren't. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they don't look as ornate or something as the cathedrals because they're more worn down. If that makes any sense. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But they're um, but they're massive. There's hmm. these huge, massive uh, temple complexes with incredibly ornate stonework, and and the symbolism of the whole thing. And this way, they're similar to cathedrals, but the vocabulary is different, of course. <laughs> yeah. know, cathedrals, if you know how to interpret them, it's a whole symbolic book in every mm-hmm. you know the shape of it is, Oh, look, it's shaped like a cross, you mm-hmm. know the, the altars here, the, whatever's here yeah. The these things are like that as well. Only they're, they're much larger and the vocabulary is, is different. The, you know, it's the axis of how they're oriented toward the sun and <laughs> different compass points. And this temple means this, and this carving means that. Uh, and, and that's one of the reasons, because I go there and I, I, I read, a, I tend to read a little about the places ahead of time. And then in that case, I, I often, when I travel, like to just be completely on my own, but we, um, I was concerned. About, I, photography's a uh, hobby of mine. I wanted to make sure I could get some good photos of these places. So I found out on the internet a, a photo guide whose speciality is getting taking you to the right place. He's ta- taking yeah. you to oh, the right okay. places, and he knows kind of where the crowds are. So he knows how to get you. You know, if you want a picture of this, you should go at the end of the day or at the beginning of the mm. day. He just knows kind of the right times and the places to be.
0: Oh, I didn't even know those guy I'd never hired. Kind of of guys guys that's, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: So, um, I, I had never hired someone like that, but it was fantastic. And he also really knew uh, a lot about. He, he he was able to answer all my questions. So yeah. So that was great. So maybe he's good at just making up stuff. I don't right. know. <laughs> it's a good story at least. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that was cool. So Sherilyn and I went on that one together, and it, you know, it's just yeah, it was cool. It
2: was hot. <laughs> it was hot, yeah. <laughs> what,
0: what? So when you, um, you know, like, what would you say, was there one that, was there a trip that you went on, especially the one by yourself, because that sounds fascinating, that you came back different, um, you know, going back to that whole, would, is there, you know, we have a hard time sometimes trying to identify what is pilgrimage. I yeah. think because um, it's not, you know, we, we have that classic definition and um it just seems like in today's kind of modern um you know high-tech mobility you know pilgrimage you know you kind of always associate pilgrimage with something ascetic and something that is um is gonna be highly spiritual religious and and it seems like people are using that term more loosely and it's much more inclusive and so you know we, I feel like we go back and forth sometimes trying to figure it out, and I think probably it maybe it's just kind of a silly um, you know quest to figure out but but uh you know I think there's something unique about pilgrimage and um and it, and we people people have all kinds. You know, I did a I did a blog on this. It's like one blog that I started a blog. I've done one. Well done. You're a blogger now. No, i, know, I was just yeah. I just don't. I can't find the time to actually just you know, write, write something. Tool, I know. Now. There you go. And <laughs> uh, and but what I said is, you know, everybody seems to if they're writing about it in a book, if they're um, talking about it on the radio. They seem to have, they have constructed a definition of pilgrimage that always is very succinct and, and it's, all, it, it's always impressive. Um, so I don't always understand why, you know, I have such a hard time figuring out what pilgrimage is, but I think it, it always does leave a little bit wanting with, I, well, what about this or what about that? And, um, mm-hmm. but so we're having a hard time identifying pilgrimage. And I don't know, maybe you have, you know, maybe none of them, you would say, really would be pilgrimage because maybe you... Haven't thought about it, or maybe it's you have a very classic definition of pilgrimage. But if there's any trip that you would say kind of um, looks or has the you know the shape or feel or the you know the smell of a pilgrimage, what was that like? What and and yeah. talk, talk about that? Yeah.
1: Yeah, a couple trips come to mind. Three actually. Um, one is the first time I went to Jerusalem, um, visiting ancient pilgrimage sites. Yeah. So before Mm -hmm. everyone got all nouveau and expanded the definition of pilgrimage, you know, the old-fashioned sense of people traveling to visit a particular religious place believing that they'll derive particular religious benefits, you know, this sort Mm -hmm. of classic Mm -hmm. old-school definition of pilgrimage. So you visit those sites, and it's (laughs) a pilgrimage. Um, And I think that was remarkable for me as a person of faith, having... At that point, that was 2012 or so, so I'd been a priest for seven years. So I spent seven years full-time preaching about places I had never visited. Okay, yeah. So so one aspect of the pilgrimage was to literally see, oh, this is what the Sea of Galilee looks like, Mm -hmm. which is more like a lake. Lake, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, But there was also the aspect of visiting the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, which um, tradition and... Archaeology so far um, corroborates the idea could yeah. be the, the site of Jesus' uh, yeah. crucifixion and resurrection. And the, the particularly the first time I went to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, it just kind of, it just kind of blew all my circuits. It was mm-hmm. a real a watershed religious event, partly because on that first trip, somebody in a passing conversation, I learned that you can spend the night in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. They let a few pilgrims every night mm-hmm. sleep overnight in the church. And so I was able to do that and to, to get to be in that church with 10 other people in the still of night when it's not full of loud tourists. I don't know if either of you have been mm. over
0: there. I've been, but I did not sleep overnight. Yeah, but, you know, it's just this
1: <laughs> loud, noisy, crowded place, and everyone's got their selfie sticks and their whole, <laughs> whole thing. <laughs> and then to go at night, and it's just completely still. And uh, so during the day, you can go in, the, in the, what tradition says is the tomb of Christ, and a Greek priest is there to shoot you out after five seconds. Mm-hmm. At night, uh, when if you get to spend the night, you can sit in there for an hour if you want to. Mm. It's
0: wow, okay. it's just a whole different yeah
1: sense. So, um,
0: so you did the classic pilgrimage.
1: So I did that, and I think so. So so that was a pilgrimage. It it changed me. I think partly to to understand the geography, the land, the places where where Jesus lived, and and these things that I talk about all the time. And then also that religious sense of, of um, believing by faith that, no, really, this is this is this amazing place where God raised Jesus to new life. Wow, to get to mm-hmm. be there was um, kind of mind-blowing. So that's, that's one sense. Um, I went on a trip with Episcopal Relief and Development a couple years ago to Ghana, um, and they called it a pilgrimage, and I, mm-hmm. I would agree with that it was. And it was to visit... Uh, we did two things in the country. One is we went up in north Ghana, in the northern of the country, to visit sites where Episcopal Relief and Development funded ministries are are doing their thing. Yeah. So, you know, all that stuff that, that uh, ERD is always um, offering. You know, you can give money and buy a goat or whatever for mm-hmm. somebody. So <laughs> we went over there, and I jokingly refer to it as, it's, a, it's basically, it's a goat pyramid scheme. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, and way for goats. You know, people get um, a couple of goats, and they breed them and get to keep the kids, and then they breed them again, and they have to give a couple of goats back. So okay. somebody else gets those goats. All right. Uh, and, but just the opportunity to visit people in their homes, mm-hmm. in their workplaces, you know, these village, these villages, um, and and understand a little bit more about what their lives are like, to get to talk to them, to get to see... The other side of what happens when people support episcopal relief and development to see the, the difference that it makes um, somebody getting a donkey and a cart can be can completely transform them that just a, that simple thing of getting a donkey and a cart is the thing that in a, um, in a subsistence agriculture world, which is most of the world right we easy to forget here easy. Um, Without the donkey and the cart, somebody has to carry by hand the water from the nearest well, which might mm-hmm. be a bunch of miles away. There's limited to how many crops they can carry, and now you have a cart, so you you don't have to carry 20 gallons of water. You can mm-hmm. put it on the cart, and the donkey can pull it along. Just things that you wouldn't think of, and you go and talk to people about what a difference it's made to get a donkey.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. Um,
1: and then, of course, we prayed and we worshiped with Anglicans there. And then we visited the other thing we did that was um, not related to Episcopal Relief and Development, but whenever they take people to Ghana, they also visit the slave forts.
0: Mm.
1: And most of the African slave trade, the slaves came from North Africa and they were brought south. Um, and they were uh, at these forts in Ghana before they were shipped uh, over to the to the west. And so you can see these these. Mm. Place these buildings that were built to, to house slaves, and you know it's it's a pilgrimage of a different. So so one is kind of the the positive, no ennobling aspect of human nature that people are generous and they give money in the U.S. and it finds its way over to Ghana and it mm-hmm. changes lives and mm-hmm. you can talk to people who have hope and their lives are getting better. And then you go to the coast where these castles are, these forts, and um, you see structures that were built withholding containers for slaves that were deliberately designed to be cruel
2: mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: you know cruelty was the objective right. of the ar- the arc the point of the architecture was yeah,
0: to crush hope. Yeah, to,
1: to crush to crush spirits yeah. that's also humanity yeah and that's a that's a, another kind of a pilgrimage is to come to grips with with hmm. uh, the- with that side of humanity you mm-hmm. um, so the, and then the the third one that comes to mind quickly is another trip i went on with episcopal migration ministries we organized what they called a pilgrimage, and I agree it was, to Kenya and Rwanda to learn about refugee ministry. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we did is we visited a refugee camp in Rwanda. And for me, the biggest pilgrimage moment was off the script. Uh, we were getting a presentation in this refugee camp and somebody came by and I, w- I happened to be kind of in the back row and whispered to a couple of us, would you like to go visit someone's home? And I said, yes, of course. And so we mm-hmm. snuck out the back, two of us, with our guide, um, from the refugee camp. And she took us to, um, I, actually I shouldn't say it's a home, it's a dwelling. They, they wouldn't call it their home because they're
2: refugees, they're refugees mm-hmm. from their homes. Yeah. So
1: they're uh, their, their dwelling. And um, this man uh, offered us the best hospitality he could, which was to let us sit on the wooden bench he had made inside his, his dwelling. A little kind of, I don't know, eight by eight room with no window where a family sleeps of six people. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and through this woman who could interpret for us, we were able to talk with him. And he was, he asked us where we were from and what it was like. And we were asking him where he came from. And like everyone else in this camp, he was a refugee from the DRC, Democratic Republic of the Congo from the 1997 war. And he had come over. And so he'd been living in this camp for t- almost 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, And 1% of the people from this camp are ever going to be resettled. Mm. 99% of the people in this camp are going to live and die at this refugee camp.
0: Wow.
1: So, uh, you know, I was asking this guy, I said, so, um, coming back to an earlier theme of the podcast, I said, what's your hope? What do you hope for? And he said, I have no hope. Mm. Which is... um, I, I get emotional talking about it. Yeah. You know, it's a soul crushing thing to hear yeah, a yeah, person absolutely. say, yeah. "I have no hope." With, yeah. Conviction, yeah, yeah. Um, hmm. So anyway, that that was a kind of pilgrimage to, to think, um, to just learn about um, uh, humanity and in its uh, fullness and in its depth. Yeah. Hmm. So not not necessarily well. That affects my religion, but not a religious pilgrimage in the sense of you know we weren't visiting a Buddhist or a Christian or a
2: you can do holy sight. Yeah. well i mean when i hear you describe this i mean you know first yeah. of all that the, the last story you told you know the uh, the idea of the chance encounter right that's one that jason and i have talked about a yes. bunch right that that you know often you'll we'll hear these stories about pilgrimage where it wasn't necessarily exactly what you intended but exactly. being being open to you know the full experience right yes. not being so scripted and that being kind of a a key part right and um you know, the, the other parts that I heard in there, um, it sounds like, you know, all three of those trips were very intentional on your part, right? You had an intention in mind, right? Again, not to the point that you were like stuck on doing this one particular thing, but just something that you, you know, you, you kind of had in mind before you went. Um, maybe it was in that last one but but another part that we've talked about i'm just kind of going back yeah, to the, right. the, the, the definitions that we've talked about or some of the aspects i should say because yeah. that, that's that's kind of i've settled I'm, i don't think we'll ever define it i think we can just kind of you know look around these facets and say well one facet of pilgrimage is intention right yes. and, and another is is kind of being open to yes. chance right but another one that i think is, is pretty important is the struggle aspect right yes. and, and again certainly in in you know the classic definition the aesthetic definition it's you leave all this behind and you you know you but but there's all sorts of different different struggles right have you found that was you know when you think about kind of these um you know these these moments where you've you've been able either at the time or later on reflection to take something back was was struggle an important part of leading up to that it was something that you had to struggle you know physically or mentally or emotionally or spiritually that you had to struggle with
1: um i I, I haven't walked the Camino yet in my life. That would... Yeah. You know, that's a, mm-hmm. a you know good example of kind of building in the struggle or whatever. I would say um, in some ways of the pilgrimage experiences I've had, you know, it's a little bit of a struggle to get on a plane and fly 18 hours, but... Out of time zones. and yeah. not, not really. I mean, yeah. it's... It's um, in the... I, I jokingly, um, I, I used points because I have all these frequent flyer points mm. and I jokingly last time this last time I, I went to the I was at in Jerusalem this year for Holy Week mm-hmm. um, which was awesome but I jokingly posted a picture of my business class seat going over the Atlantic as I was leaving It <laughs> said you know pilgrimage to Jerusalem isn't as hard as it used to be <laughs> yeah um, so I mean on the one hand it's it was a it was a you know it was a long travel day and all that stuff but it wasn't really yeah uh, a struggle in the sense of it yeah um but I, but I do think that I, I can see that, um, it, it, you know, it was not easy to get to this refugee camp in Rwanda, yeah. and I'm not always so good in groups, and so for me just personally, it's not a struggle yeah. like it was yeah. a hardship like most of the world struggles, but just for me personally in a kind of first world struggling sort of a way mm-hmm. to... go on a trip with you know 15 other people yeah yeah that
2: was was something a a little
1: bit of struggle but but i think um but i think for me if i think about it it's the it's the intention of going to a place with a kind of openness
0: Mm.
1: and it's not it's partly it's the scheduling it's the you have a conversation and somebody tells you about a place that you didn't know about yeah and you say well that's not in my guidebook but i'm going to go there anyway Mm -hmm. Or a conversation, or do you want to join me for lunch, or mm. all those kinds of, mm-hmm. of moments. Um, and also an openness to be formed. I, I'm not going well, to... Yeah,
2: what do you mean by that? Talk, talk about that.
1: Well, I, what I mean by that is... Um, so um, this year, my, my week-long trip to kind of by-myself trip was I went to um, Korea, mostly mm-hmm. Seoul for, for a week. And so I'm in Korea, so I'm going to try to, as much as I can, eat um, Korean food. I'm going to try to take Korean culture on its own terms mm-hmm. and not say, I'm going to go over here and do all the things that are f- comfortable and familiar to me because, you know, I'm used to eating pizza or whatever, right. you know, every day. So, but, and I think um, the openness to say, okay, well, um, I, I don't know what's a good example. Um, I'm not going to think, oh gosh, it sure is annoying that the subway is crowded, because that's what life is like here. That's you know that's the it's the Korean way. Is you ride the subway around, then it's crowded. That's just Mm -hmm. that's just the deal. Um, And I think not trying to to take an experience and shape it into. I'm not going to try to have my comfortable domestic experience in another place. I'm gonna go, and as much as I can, <laughs> yeah. try to have, okay, try, try to open myself to be formed by that place. Right. So it's the food, it's the people, it's the customs, and of course you can't do that completely, right? I yeah. Mean, there's, there's no way to do that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's always a little bit of cultural lens that you're gonna you're gonna look everything through. And, right. And, and you know, and I have a friend everything. who
1: goes to um, China a lot. He speaks Chinese. He's a, he's an American priest, but he lived in China for a while. He goes over there a lot, and he always stays in hutongs, which is kind of a traditional Chinese house or a or a um, hostel, and he kind of goes all in that way. Mm-hmm. And that's that's one one notch on the side of the line of getting to the local culture that I don't do. You know, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm always like, okay, I'm going to eat the food. I'm going to talk to the people I'm going to do that. But at the end of the day, when I'm done, like with Pilgrimage Day, I'm going to go back to a really nice Western hotel yeah. where I could have a really great shower if I want to. Yeah. No, that's probably a weakness on my part. I'm just being honest. Here. Sure, no, yeah. no, it's, it's interesting. No, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that uh, in one of the previous episodes we were talking about that you know I really like to do um, when uh, not necessarily pilgrimage, but when I've traveled with my family is you know I'm a huge personal fan of like Airbnb and before uh-huh. that VRBO and that sort of stuff because it you know it's still comfortable, it's still it's still yes. nice and all that sort of stuff, but you're at least out of the hotel environment yes. and in. You know, again, we, when we took our trip to Rome, you know, we were staying right across the river from the Vatican. You could see yeah. the Vatican. And it was just, you know, there's a supermarket across the street, and, you know, a little, little, mar- and it was just, it was a little bit one step closer to sort of immersing yourself in and, and trying to really figure out what this culture is all about. Yes. Um, again, completely impossible to strip all that away, at least in, you know, these short mm-hmm. little visits. But, but yeah, I understand what you're saying. Another piece that you talked about that, um, I thought was interesting, um, you know, was um, on, on your, uh, your your trip to Jerusalem, kind of the, you know, this this framing of the, uh, framing of it, it was a pilgrimage because it kind of fits the classical definition. Was there anything that you can think of in there that, you know, maybe stuck out of that, that, that wasn't something that a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, or a pilgrim to Jerusalem might have experienced 600 years ago, or do you think it was pretty much the maybe selfie sticks, I guess <laughs> they wouldn't, they would have experienced that, but well, they didn't have those in 2000. So yeah, I cool. know. But I'm very thankful for that.
1: Yeah. That's an interesting question. Um, I was going to say, I think part of it is, is going there. And I, I, um, twice when I've been to Jerusalem, I, t- I was taking a course at St. George's college mm-hmm. an Anglican mm-hmm. institution in Jerusalem. And, um, so part of it is getting to know the other pilgrims, but I guess that's probably part of the classic ancient yeah. definitions. Will is is, mm-hmm. is having friendships that
2: just form, form along the road. Yeah, that
1: form along the road. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's so maybe that's actually a, an example of how it's more like a a traditional pilgrimage. Um, yeah, I don't know. And then I was just sitting here thinking, um, I'm all, I'm also a, a modest collector of religious kitsch. Mm-hmm. and You can get great religious kitch in Jerusalem. Yeah, absolutely. Roadside <laughs> well, stands uh, and stuff. Sure. Is that yeah, what it but is? That's probably <laughs> pretty medieval too. So so maybe it was really kind of a just a, a well, straight fit, up fit, fit
0: in the box all, all across. All right. Right. Which yeah. which quarter of Jerusalem do you do you get the kitsch?
1: Oh, well, I th- I think the I think the best kitsch is probably uh, in the
0: in the oh, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's what I would have said. Yeah, yeah. The
1: Jewish quarter is very, you know, very serious. Very, and about.
0: it's very well, I mean, I don't. I mean, it just it's like more tidy. And the yeah. streets are a little cleaner, and it's, and, and there's just not, you know, the Arab quarter just is, um, entices the senses. Like, you hear, you hear things, you smell things, you are constantly, like, feeling things, because it's so crowded. <laughs> and the Jewish quarter is just a very different experience. Yeah, exactly. um, so, okay, so, um, you know, I gave you an article to read, um, because, you know, I want, you know, I wanted to impress you. <laughs> <laughs> See, it, this is what I I didn't write it, yeah. but I was <laughs> <laughs> You found it. Googled it somewhere.
2: <laughs> no. Um,
0: no, um, because, well, I mean, so a couple
2: things. Um, so what was, priest, we, what was the article? What was the article? You got to tell our audience so they could find it.
0: I know. I know I'm forgetting the name of it because I... Oh, yeah, right. I'll find it real quick. Oh, well, and I've got the books. Um, but it's uh, Philip Sheldraki's uh, sacred book about sacred space Mm yeah and it's like the catholicity of uh or the eucharist like yeah and um so a couple things like um you know what did you think of that article and then real quick and because we're we're going long um and then uh i just have a few questions for you you know after you
1: um i very um, i enjoyed it because it made me think and i um I think it, it it helped raise some issues that I hadn't thought about for a while of the tension between kind of the local and the, the he talked about the you know kind of a view of catholicity of the of the universal or the, of the yeah. broader space and of course right. you know as the article points out you know the, the Jesus's incarnation is the quintessential example of that you know the scandal of particularity that God yes. became a particular human being so that's very. Um, uh, Local yeah. and concrete and real and you can touch it and fleshed. That's kind of the point of it, but also that sanctifies our human nature mm-hmm. and transforms all of creation. You know, mm-hmm. transforms our humanity and all of creation. So that's it's the kind universal, of broader, yeah. u- universal aspect. And I, I appreciated his his um, his effort to get us to think about the Eucharist, our celebration of the Eucharist, in kind of a similar way. That that one thing that's happening is is God is being made real for us or, or we're becoming aware of God um, in the in the bread and in the wine, but also if we take seriously this idea of Catholicity not just the church but the universality mm-hmm. of of God's um, place in the universe that same that same movement where we find God among us pushes us out mm-hmm. which I think yes. is hmm. is helpful the thing I wasn't so keen on but I think I'd have to read it and but you to um, might have thoughts, is I, I'm always, um, he talks about, um, it seemed like it was treading occasionally toward the idea of panentheism, that yeah. you know the, yeah. the, the universe is, is an extension of God, or pantheism, that the universe is God. And he was so, the author is so eager to make the point that, that God's presence is, is universal, that sometimes I thought he oversold his case. Yeah, there's a, there's a danger that well, okay, but God's also outside time and space.
0: It seems to me, mm-hmm.
1: maybe I'm just old-fashioned. Well, and
0: he even talked about. I mean, he did try to make a distinction between pan and the, pan yeah. enthe, I can never say that. Um, and you know, and it, whereas, like, he was almost talking about um, it's. I mean, how I remembered it was like the energy of God, uh, enlivening, and so there's still a distinction, but God is still in everything in some yeah sense
1: so i guess i mean I, I i think part of it is my hackles were a little raised because sometimes i i talk to people who will say well i'm a i'm a uh, yeah i'm a christian but i i like to find god in the sunset yeah and fine i mean god is in the sunset and it's beautiful and i'm glad you have that experience i'm not going to begrudge anyone that. Mm-hmm. but i actually think in order to be a Christian, you have to be part of a Christian community, and you do that at a church, church, you know, ecclesia, yeah. community. Mm-hmm. And, okay, you know, it's, it, seems, it just seems to me that the fullness of the Christian life is found in a Christian community.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, people will say, well, the church isn't any holier than, you know, um, a meadow. And, okay, on the one hand, I suppose that's true. But on the other hand, buildings are set apart as sacred places for us to encounter God. And so I'm not sure I actually want to agree that... That the, yeah. that the church and the meadow are equally holy. Um,
0: the celebrating the Eucharist, how does that change? You know, where it, it draws people together and to form the body yeah. of Christ.
1: It, exactly. Yeah.
0: I mean, can you, can you do that in a meadow? Yeah, of course. In the you can. same yeah. as of being in a church? Yeah, Yeah, of course you can. I guess when in a church you have climate control. <laughs> well, but it's a place Sometimes. that... Is, <laughs> yeah, uh, not, not always here. <laughs> it's...
1: Um, I don't know. There are a lot of different ways. This is a whole different conversation we could have. There are a lot of ways to think about church. I think one of the ways that for me is helpful to think about church is it's a place where we kind of, um, besides being taught, we talked about this, the catechesis of of learning scripture and its tradition, its interpretation. It's also a place where we practice, right? Yeah. So yeah. if you, if I annoy you, if we're in the same church and I annoy you or you annoy me or whatever, we practice reconciling. And hopefully because we're in a church, there's a little bit of peer pressure for us to do that. And that's good practice for me when I'm not in the church and I, mm-hmm. I get annoyed at somebody. Or I practice seeing that Jesus becomes present in this little teeny tiny wafer. Mm-hmm. Maybe that helps me see that Jesus is present in the poor and, and other places. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a, it's a training group. Yeah. And I think it's not that you can't do that in the meadow, but in the church, um, you've got habit and familiarity and you've got all kinds of stuff like maybe stained glass or symbols working for you. Yeah. It's, it's a little more optimal, I guess I'd say. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I wouldn't, if, if somebody, um, sat here and said that, no, the church is holy and the meadow is not, I would argue with them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I
2: think. Well, it's just not a binary, but maybe there's some some yeah, separation yeah. by degrees, yeah. right? And, and actually, it's an interesting. That's a good so, point. Yeah. So you know, I I tried to read that article too, and i I guess I just wasn't smart enough, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I read about halfway through, and I'm like, all right, I got I can't recite one point that I got out of this so far, so I'm gonna stop. But hearing you talk about it, I think it's actually an interesting bridge to the, the pilgrimage point, right? Because one of the things that we've struggled with a little bit, you know, maybe back to your church versus meadow analogy, is what's really the difference between pilgrimage and just traveling? Yeah, right? exactly. And, and and there are some elements to the structure, right, of, of a pilgrimage and having, some, again, some of the things that we've talked about so far that, you know, certainly you might accidentally end up There just taking a trip, just going somewhere. But there is a way to be much more intentional and structured about it, you know, and about certain aspects of it that have proven over time to be an effective practice, to have it be more spiritual than just going Mm. somewhere, Mm. than than just just traveling. Yeah, that's a good point. Exactly.
1: And I think people travel differently, but I think part of the intentionality of the pilgrimage, at least for me, in fact, maybe the essential thing about a pilgrimage is the openness of it. It's the idea that I'm taking a trip because I know it's going to change me. Mm -hmm. And I think often, at least for me sometimes, and maybe for other people, I'm going to go to Paris and I'm going to visit the Louvre. You know, I'm just going to go to a museum. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Maybe when I see the Mona Lisa, that makes a difference, but maybe not. You know, Mm -hmm. it's it's a cool thing. I saw it. Um, So that, that might be tourism that might have occasional pilgrimage um, moments. Yeah. Yeah. But then you go on a pilgrimage, and you maybe uh, I'm going to go to Jerusalem because I, I want to be formed by this place and these experiences, and I know it's going to do something to me. And I'm not sh- exactly sure what's going to happen. And then in that pilgrimage, I have moments of being a tourist, right? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well,
2: yeah. It's a, you
0: kind of weave in and out. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But I th- but I think it does. It gets back to that intentionality, and I think um, I think the, the going back to the article, I think it helps us. And, and the church versus meadow. I think if if you could go down a couple of different extremes, and neither one of which is helpful. One is to ta- is to say, and he talked about this like in the pre-Vatican II understanding mm-hmm. of the, you know, the Catholic Church had of itself, of w- the church is complete in itself. Yes. and If it's not in, if it's if not, not in the part church, of the church, it, then yeah, then yeah. it's 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 an error. It's wrong. It's mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't matter. Well, that that view isn't very satisfactory to most people these days. Um, so that view that. I'm only holy when I, you know, we're sitting here in Tr- Trinity Church in Covington, Kentucky, that this, that when I come here, it's holier than when I'm at my job, so I don't have to be, I can be, I'm going to be nice here at church, and I'm going to be a jerk at my job because this is holy, and that's, and that's not, all okay. right, I mean, that's yeah. not, that's not helpful at all, because I don't think that's true, and I also don't think it's particularly helpful to say, you know what, I don't have to, I don't ever have to go to church, because, because God's everywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because when I if I go to the meadow by myself and I'm looking at the sunset, other than whatever epiphanies happen in my own mind and maybe the Holy Spirit works in me, I, I don't get pushed. Mm-hmm. And when I'm in a church, I have to um, worship and learn and serve alongside all kinds of people.
2: Yeah, I think I think the practice part of it's a big part, but I think you know what we were talking before about the in preaching is part of it too, yes, exactly. right? Teacher, it, yes. it, it is is that you know our all our unique sort of little reality tunnels that we, how we perceive things are corrected in community with one another, right? We get Mm -hmm. little better ideas by sharing those and expressing those, right? I mean, again, not to make it too meta, but that's what I love about this format, right? We get to sit around and, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I don't have hour long in-depth conversations, you know, about, really anything with anybody anymore <laughs> except when we're doing this right mm-hmm. so yeah. um, and and again it's that process of being in communion right Be, yeah. being together and, and sharing those stories and and you know sharing what they mean to you and asking questions and and getting those little tweaks to your understanding that is is more powerful right on the scale of things right so you may have this great personal understanding or epiphany you know sitting in a meadow staring at a sunset that's great but it's still just through your own little lens, yes. right? And it's not until you've shared that um, yes. with someone else so that you've helped them or that they have given you maybe a small tweak to that that, yes, you, that, exactly. that, it, that actually becomes a little bit better. So, exactly. and, and, and again, church is a, a great place to, to have that happen. That's, that's what it's set up to do.
0: So. Okay, so I have a question for you. Um, um, <clears throat> so you celebrate the Eucharist because you're a priest.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Is there anything distinctly different about celebrating the Eucharist in Jerusalem versus celebrating the Eucharist in Cincinnati or that meadow, wherever, wherever that is. Imagine I'm in island yeah. I don't know why. Oh, yeah. There's great meadows <laughs> there. It's
2: all meadow.
1: Um, that's, an inter- that's a great question. I think if I had the chance, I um, can't imagine it would ever happen in my life, but if somebody yeah. said, you know, you can celebrate the Eucharist in the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, mm-hmm.
0: um,
1: that would have... Um, I don't know, emotional meaning for me or something. It would, it would mean a lot to yeah. me. It would be an honor. I would be glad to do it. But I don't think that the bread that gets blessed is extra holy yeah. because right. it's, because it's being blessed there instead of a meadow. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, yeah, I, that's what I think.
0: So, you know, so when I, the reason why I asked that is because I think about, um, because when, when people talking about um, pilgrimage to Jerusalem, there is that aspect where you're walking, in a sense, as a pilgrim, the path that Christ, follow, you know, walks from, you know, the, the Mount of, you know, of Transfiguration to yeah. the cross. Yeah. And so it's it's, in a sense, a pilgrimage, um, uh, you know, that is marked by suffering and is marked by uh, denial and denial of you know those around you and yeah. and um, and you and you're coming to that place that is where all of this culminated and then that universality universi- and particularity the dynamic of it um you know to, i don't know or it just it's consummated and and so um and i was thinking you know well, if if the eucharist really can be is the same no matter where you're at you know and it is this dynamic of the universal and the particular particularity um you know after you take the eucharist and you know that sunday morning um and you walk outside of that church, is that step outside of the church kind of crossing the threshold on another weekly pilgrimage? I mean, what do you think about that? I, I just kind no, of I, thought about this idea. I mean...
1: No, I think I think that's right. And I, and I appreciate it in the article. Um, at the end, he talks about the the point of kind of being um, sent out and that you Eucharist yeah. inherently yeah. kind of sends us out. And I think... Um, one of the reasons I don't like it when people do campy, goofy things with a dismissal at the end of the service is it's actually kind of um, it's it's almost like a solemn warning. If we took seriously, what what's mm-hmm. happening, you know, you're going to go into the world and and be a Christian, and if you're doing a good job at that, it's it's scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think in some ways, if we if we can take seriously, our if if Eucharist renews our faith and renews our sense of of God's beloved and and we're freshly inspired by the Word, and all those things happen. We're nourished by the sacraments. Then stepping through that, stepping out of that threshold, ought to be—it ought to be a big deal. Yeah. But I think one of the benefits of going to Jerusalem or the Meadow, if you're used to being here at Trinity Covington, is we get—or any church—is we get into this habit, this familiar habit, of oh, we're, it's just church.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. It's just Sunday morning ch- church, mm-hmm. and. And, I, I, and when I step over the threshold, the first thing I'm thinking is, oh,
2: I gotta get to brunch. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. I, well, yeah, yeah. Well, but I mean, that's you know, when you were asking the question about uh, uh, you know celebrating the Eucharist in in the Church of the Holy Sepulcher versus you know in church or in a meadow, the the, the thing that occurs to me again, not not uh, n- not having done that, not 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 going to do that, is is it you know those. Those sacraments, based on where they are, um, it changes the perceiver, not the perceived. Right? Because you talked about how you'd be looking at things a little bit differently, but the you know the host itself is is just as holy, just mm-hmm. the same as it was. And, and I think that's, that's a good point. And, and I think that's what you know. Again, this discussion about pilgrimage, one of the things that you know, and it goes back to being open to experience. You know, letting the place form you is. You know the fact that uh, you know I, I've liked in it before to you know one aspect of pilgrimage is, like, is kind of like very similar to this mindfulness practice. You know, it's, yeah. it's all the you know is is just you know, kind of stepping back for a minute and and realizing all the things that are in your daily life that you just skip by, right? That when you step over that threshold, the next thing you're thinking about is going to brunch versus what just really happened here, right? Because it becomes a habit. It becomes a machine. And, you know, I, again, just back to the pilgrimage topic for a second, you know, it's one of those things that the pilgrimage is a really powerful tool to break you out of because it gets you out, you know, you're not in your home environment you're you, you don't have a routine because you've never been there before right and just that that opportunity if you really take it yes. to step back and, and realize how much of your life you're just skipping by exactly. uh you know just subconsciously because you know we can't notice everything all the time we, we you know we, right. we, we go crazy mm-hmm. uh, i think it's a it's a really powerful opportunity again just to, to change where you're coming from right and see something you know that you've done a thousand times like you know, participate in the Eucharist in a different way just because it's in a different place. Yes, exactly. So, yeah. so um, as we end
0: here, I was thinking, I had an idea, Ford Movement could now do a pilgrimage to the site of every saint who wins Lynn Madness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know where Florence Nightingale is from. I've, I've forgotten. Yeah. Well, do you I mean, remember? She, she was, she was she's,
2: British, wasn't she? She's British, in, yeah. yeah.
1: And then she worked, I guess she was in
2: in, in Nor- normandy or yeah, yeah austria i was, gonna oh, say it's was a little it? further okay. east oh, okay yeah yeah I'm yeah. Not
1: totally sure i should probably know that no that that's a good idea yeah, <laughs> no there have been some some saints from some pretty cool places yeah that's a good that'd idea. be a great yeah. idea maybe yeah.
2: whoever submits the perfect bracket gets a gets a ticket yeah they get the free they know. get the free right. <laughs> call
0: it's <laughs> your big contest yeah. well scott thanks for uh, for joining us today
1: oh thanks for inviting me what a what a um What an honor to get to be in this conversation with you two.
0: Well, we feel the same way. Thanks a lot. So thanks a lot. Bye-bye.